So here we are in the book of Nahum, and uh, they call it a minor prophet, not because it's not as important as other books in the Bible, it's just smaller books that were in the Bible. And Nahum, actually, if you were to find out what this is all about, uh, the, uh, the Nahum is the book on the destruction of Nineveh is what it's really about. And really, if you could pick it up and stick it in the Bible, it can be placed inside 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And so you understand that these prophets came in certain times in the Scriptures, so all of these books fit together. And so when you're reading the book of Nahum, you understand that it's during 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, you go in and read that. Now, there is a judicial sentence being brought against Nineveh, and the reason that God's judging them and this sentence is being brought upon them is because they had not passed down the word of God that was brought to them by Jonah. Now, as I share that with you, I want you to know when Jesus Christ left the earth, he left us with a commission, didn't he? He left his people with a thing that we call the Great Commission, and God told us that we shall be witnesses for him. This is no different than the message, if you will, he left for Nineveh to bring forth his word to others, and Nineveh failed to continue to fulfill that. Now, you think of the grace of God that was handed down to Nineveh based on the message that Jonah came and preached and what turned that place around, but in a few short years, they forgot God. And so God is teaching us here about this judgment that's being set forth on this group of people. Now, our primary focus is on the guarantee that God gives to every believer uh, that he knows, uh, wants him to know that, listen, if you belong to God, he wants you to know that you belong to him. And if we belong to God, God has given us a purpose. And that purpose is to fulfill his will, to bring glory to his name, to bring praise and honor to who he is. And we, as a people who are saved, have a responsibility to do that. You say, well, how is that fulfilled? Well, he told us in the New Testament that ye shall be witnesses on his behalf. We are to bring forth God's word to other people. This is how we bring praise and honor and glory to his name. If a church, if a people truly want to see revival, uh, then we need to be people of prayer. And I do believe we ought to pray together as men and as a church. If we cannot pray together, we cannot expect God to work through us. We have to come together as men and women and pray together. And we have this Wednesday evening service. And it's not so that we might just pray over the sick and the ill, but that we may pray that God could bring forth revival to a church such as ours. You know, in declension, when things are not looking as good, people have a tendency to fall off and they think it's unimportant. But do you realize that God says where two or three are gathered together, there he is in the midst thereof? And so it doesn't matter. But you know what's so wonderful? I wonder often how many of us are really praying about revival like what came to Nineveh. Can God cause that to happen in such a church as ours? Absolutely. And we have to be a people that are willing to believe that God can bring forth revival. You say, well, what does it take, preacher? It takes a praying people with a sincerity of heart going to a holy, righteous God. The very God that Jonah had is the very God that we serve. The very God that we're going to speak of tonight, the one that the Bible says the Lord is good, that's the God that we serve. And so I challenge us tonight as we look at this, our primary focus is this, when you are born again, you're sealed until the day of redemption. And God wanted those of the Old Testament to know that he knew all that belonged to him. And God wants you to know you belong to him. Now, there should be a, an assurance in our hearts that we belong to him. And as a child of God, he's given, he's given us the responsibility to take forth his word. So as we think about this, the guarantee that he gave to Judah at this day is the very guarantee that he gives 
to us through Jesus Christ our Savior. And here's our thought and challenge tonight. Are you aware of the guaranteed standing with God by His grace? We say, well, yes, preacher, I am. Well, if you are, then I want to challenge you. What are you doing with such a great salvation that God has given unto us as He did unto Nineveh? Now, as we think about this, through our guaranteed standing with God, we're given some gracious benefits, and I think about the benefits of God all the time. Have you ever really gone through the Scriptures and realized the benefits that are afforded us as believers? And, and, and begin to think about it, one of the things that we're given is the goodness of God. And he tells us right here in this passage, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. So if you trust in the Lord, he knows you. Isn't that wonderful to know? <laughs> so if you're trusting him, he knows you. And he was telling these folks that God knows you, and, and listen, even in times of trouble, God is good. And we fail to remember that God's good in our times of trouble. The second thing is, is that he's our defense or our stronghold. And I began to think about how far-reaching that thought is. You see, we might think just the here and the now. Do you realize he's our defense, he's our stronghold against hell and against Satan? If you think about it for just a moment, what is our defense against dying and going to an eternal hell? Our defense is Jesus Christ, isn't it? And God is good, isn't he? Even in times of trouble, he's there for us. And so the last thing is this, the guarantee that he knows you. If you trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, the Savior, he knows you. That's a guarantee. And so the goodness of God is what I want to speak to you, first of all, about tonight. And I thought about the Lord is good at all times. And, and that's hard for us to understand when things are seemingly going wrong for us. It's hard to understand that God is still good, isn't it? And when things are going wrong, we kind of get a misunderstanding of who God is. And in our times of trouble, God tells us in this very passage the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of what? Trouble. He's a stronghold, isn't he? God's letting you know that he's still good, and so no matter what your trouble is, God is there for you. And so the goodness of God is, is interesting because this word good in this passage, it has the idea of beautiful. It has the idea of best or better. It has the idea of being bountiful or cheerful or favor or gracious or kind or loving and sweet. I mean, think of all those words incorporated into one word that God gave us about himself. And so God wants us to know when he's telling us he's good, he's best, he is bountiful, he shows favor, he's telling us what he's affording us as a believer. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, I read this at times, and it says, in everything give thanks. Somebody told me one time, he said, it's not to give thanks for everything, but in everything give thanks. And, and I believe... They were trying to just play a game of semantics. That means they were just trying to play with words. But the reality is, is no matter what's going on, we ought to thank the Lord. Amen. <laughs> no matter what's happening in our lives, we ought to thank God. And he said, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So as a child of God, he's always working on my behalf and gives me the benefit of his goodness. And I just want you to think about this. God never does anything to hurt me, ever. God never does anything to hurt you. God's always doing good on your behalf. And you say, well, there are times where I feel like I just feel all this pressure in my life and you know, I've done things wrong and now all this pressure's falling on me and everything else. Yeah, God loves you. That's called chastisement. And thank God he provides that to us to let us know that we're his child. Amen. I, I, you know, when I was a kid... Uh, it wasn't the neighbor guy down the road that beat my butt whenever I was doing wrong. It was my daddy. <laughs> Are you with me? My dad showed me love by spanking me at times. 
And, and the thing of it is, is that it wasn't the neighbor that was spanking me. Now, the neighbor may wanted to have spanked me, but it was my dad that spanked me. It was my dad that chastened me when I did wrong. And so we've got to understand that even when we are out of line with God, God loves us so much, he's trying to bring us back into line with him. And so when he chastens us, he's reminding us that we belong to him. Now, we take communion uh, every first Sunday of the month, and, and you go in there. One of the things that God reminds us is that as a uh, child of his, that if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged by the world, right? But God chastens us. He brings us to that place and reminds us of what we are to him. And if I belong to him, he's going to correct me. And that's a wonderful thing. And by the way, correcting shows love. And, and we have to understand that. Now, there's some verses here, and I read verses 1 through 8, and I just kind of want to highlight this for you. And I began to look at verses 1 through 8, and I thought to myself, one of the things that verse 1 indicates is God is all-knowing. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision. God is an all-knowing God. And I, I looked at verse 2, and I, I thought to myself, God is jealous, and the Lord's revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. God is righteous, isn't he? So if you want to write something out beside verse 1, one of the things is, is God is all-knowing. When you look at the burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision, God is all-knowing. He knew things, didn't he? And he gave that vision to whom? And he gave it to Nahum. He saw it. Verse 2 indicates that God is righteous. God is righteous in all when I say the word righteous. Anything that God does is right. All that God does is right. And so God does not fail to do right. And he teaches us here one of his attributes, and that is and that he's right. And I thought about the first part of uh, verse 3. This is so wonderful. The Lord is slow to anger. How many of you are grateful that God is long-suffering? Isn't that what that verse teaches us? If he's slow to anger, that means he's long-suffering, isn't he? Now, one of the things that my dad ran short on with 10 kids in the house was long-suffering. <laughs> he ran short on it quickly. How many of you are glad God is long-suffering? Amen? And God is telling us about himself in these verses. He's telling us who he is. And by the way, when he says in verse 7, the Lord is good, he's talking previously about all these attributes about himself. So in the first part of there, uh, he is long-suffering. Now, in the latter part of this verse, he's not only slow to anger, but notice this, and great in power. And it says, in great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and in the clouds or the dust of, uh, of his feet. And he go on, he rebuketh the sea, go down, the mountains quake. Look at all these verses. Who can stand before his indignation? So in the latter part of uh, verses 3 through 6, one of the things to recognize, God's a powerful God, isn't he? Amen. He's a very powerful God. One of the attributes of our Savior, of our God, is that not only is my God a God that's all-knowing and righteous and long-suffering, he's all-powerful. Because if he's in the whirlwind of the storm... He's in control, isn't he? He has control over all things. If the mountains quake at him, who can stand before his indignation? Well, it's a rhetorical question. No one can, can we? So we know that God is all-powerful. And when he says this, and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. 
And, and you think about what the Bible's speaking of, we have a very powerful Lord. The one who created the heavens and the earth has control over the heavens and the earth, doesn't he? And so if he's in the whirlwind of the storm and he makes the mountains quake and, and he can move upon the sea, who can stand before his indignation? No man can. But boy, we're reminded of something. He tells us about all these things. And then he says, the Lord is good. Isn't that wonderful to know? God's a good God, isn't he? In verse 7, he tells us that he's good. And, and, and you know, you go on to verse 8 and you say, well, what's verse 8 all about then, preacher? But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. God is holy. And people who do wrong will not get away with it. The wicked will not stand before God. He answered his own question, didn't he? Who can stand before his indignation? Well, hey, listen, the Lord is good, but he wanted to remind us that he knows the ones that trusted him, and those that don't cannot stand before his anger. They'll be utterly destroyed. He will pursue his enemies. God is holy, and he will take care of those things. You know, the goodness of God is not about getting what I want. I know we think that way sometimes. Well, if God's good, I'll get what I want. Well, that's not what it's about. I was sharing with someone about prayer time. Think about our prayer lives. Think about how often we pray about the material and not the spiritual. How, many, how much of our time in our prayer time is consumed with material needs, wants, desires, uh, the functioning of the funds, the, you know, a lot of that. But how much of it is really spent on spiritual needs? Spiritual things for myself, for others, for uh, the souls of men and the souls of women, souls of children. You know, if we want to see revival come to a church, if we want to see revival come to a country, what I see, revival started with prayer. Revival starts in us as individuals, but revival starts in prayer. It starts with my relationship with God and wanting to do so much to stay in a right relationship with Him, doing all that I can to keep my relationship good with God and others. And so I challenge us to think about this. The goodness of God is not about me getting what I want when I want it. It is, however, receiving from God that which I need. The things I need, God gives to me every day. And, and I need not misunderstand who God is. Because he gives his need, he, he fulfills my need according to his what? Riches and glory. My need is what he is fulfilling. And sometimes we don't even understand what we need. We think we need money, or we think we need a car, or we think we need an education, or we think we need, and we go on with what we think we need, and the reality is, who knows what we need? And why would we not consult him? And why would we not be in touch with him? Why would we not let him direct us and guide us? And the thing of it is, I want to receive from God that which I need. In 1 Chronicles 16, 34, you ought to write this down. The Bible says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth for how long? Forever. Isn't that a wonderful passage? And, and the Lord is good, folks. And, and my trouble is not an indication of whether God's good or not good anymore. Trouble, when it enters in, he knows them that trust in him. Let me tell you something. What he's telling us in that very passage, what Nahum is speaking of, in the midst of my troubles, he knows whether you're trusting him or not. When I'm having a difficult time, the Lord is good. And he is that stronghold in that day of trouble. And here's the thing. He knows whether I am or am not trusting him in my time of trouble. 
For does he not know me from the inside out? Does he not know my very thoughts? Does the Bible not teach us even in the New Testament when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, does it not say, and Jesus knew their what? He knows what they're thinking. He knows what you're thinking. And he knows in the time of trouble whether you are trusting him or not. He knows. Let's go to Psalm 100 real quick. Keep your finger there in Nahum. I don't want you to lose that place. But turn to Psalm 100. Everybody there? Say amen. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is what? You ought to underline that in your Bible. For the Lord is good. His mercy is what? Everlasting. And His truth endureth to how many generations? All generations. The thing to remember in the midst of my trouble is that God doesn't cease to be good. What He's looking for in the midst of my trouble is He knoweth them that trust Him, doesn't He? And He's saying, hey, when you're having trouble, are you trusting Me? Are you, are you coming to me? Jeremiah 33, 11. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good. Do you know in the midst of your trouble, let me challenge you with this. If you're having a difficult time, if you're having trouble, I want to challenge you. Praise the Lord. Listen. Praise the Lord, all ye saints. Lift up your voices before Him. Cry unto Him and let Him know, Lord, I love you. And my trouble has not overcome me, Lord, but I am overcome with the joy of my Lord. And I want you to know, Father, that I am not going to allow this to cause me to separate from you. It's going to cause me to draw closer to you, Lord. I don't understand it. I don't know why it entered in, but I know you are not far from me. And draw an eye unto God, and he'll do what? He'll draw an eye unto you. Now, he tells us in Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Listen to me. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. That word wait is not that you stand back with your arms crossed like this going, hmm. What's a waiter do in a restaurant? If a waiter did this in the restaurant to you all the time and never brought you your water or your food or whatever, what would you do with that waiter? You'd probably turn him over to management, first of all, and you'd think, you need to go find another job because you're not a very good what? Waiter. The word wait means to serve. <laughs> and so the Bible clearly says, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. has the idea of, serving him in the midst of it all. Now, it has the idea that we're waiting for him, but we're serving him. Right? I'm taking care of what he's given unto me. A waiter comes to my table and he waits on me, doesn't he? He asks me, what is it that I can do for you, my patron? (laughs) And you tell him, and he says, I will do your bidding. I'm going to go back to the kitchen. I'll tell him what you want. Oh, I'm going to get it made and I'm going to come out and then I'm going to do what? going to serve you. I want you to know that that's the idea behind this. 
And so I'm getting my relationship with God in a good place because I'm not allowing myself to just sit by idle. You know, when things are going well, we have the thoughts of His goodness sometimes, don't we? I mean, when things are going good, you're like, man, this is great. I mean, sometimes in the times of goodness, we forget Him too, don't we? I mean, look at the nation of Israel, how many times when things were going well for them, what started to happen. You know, in a land of milk and honey, they forgot Him, didn't they? I want to challenge you with this, is that in the United States, just because things are flourishing financially doesn't mean that we are remembering God just because it's going well. (laughs) What it is is that often when things are going well financially, a lot of people forget God. In fact, I just got a call from a ministry uh, that I'm very close to, and they called me and they said in these more financial lucrative times, their offerings go down because they think everybody's doing good. In times of trouble, the offerings go up because they don't think we're doing as well. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? And as I challenge you with this, when things are going well, we have the thoughts of the goodness of God, and when they are not going as we desire, we forget that God is still good, and God is still God, right? Hey, when they were in the land of Egypt... Had God forgotten them? God had a plan in place, didn't he? God had a plan to have an exodus, didn't he? And oh, when God provides the exodus, he takes them out, what do they start doing? Oh, just send us back to Egypt with our leeks and our onions. Right? We're tired of eating your man, and he's, they, we want some quail. He gave it to them all right, didn't he? When he gave the quail, it says he gave it to them so much that, that they threw it up and it came out their nostrils. <laughs> Does that mean that God was bad at that time and he was good before that, or was God good all the time? Was he chastening his people, letting him know, hey, you belong to me and I'm taking care of you? Sometimes we forget, don't we? Are you aware of your guaranteed standing with God by his grace? You know, if you're saved, we ought to really praise the Lord openly before Be open about it. Be open about what God has done. Through our guaranteed standing with God, we're given the gracious benefit that includes the goodness of God. We also receive the benefit of God's protection. When I look at this, he said, the Lord is good. Notice what it says, a stronghold. God's not just good, he's a stronghold. So I want you to think about this. As you read this verse like this one, be assured, you as a child of God, that what is his, is his. You belong to him. What is his is his. You belong to him. And and he will hold on to it for his glory. (laughs) We belong to God. And and as you think about this, the defense that God gives us against sin is what? Salvation in Jesus Christ, isn't it? What's our defense against sin? Jesus Christ. Our defense against sin is Christ himself. And he forgives our sins, doesn't he? He cleanses us from unrighteousness. That's what our defense is against sin. And God the Holy Spirit is the agent of God that keeps you sealed until the day of redemption. But I want you to know something. As a child of God, when you sin against God, when you do something against the truth of God's word, the Holy Spirit is grieved. God lets you know he's not pleased. And it's not just that you have a guilty conscience. If you have a guilty conscience... It's not confidence in God, it's confidence in self. 
What we should have is a conviction that comes over us because we know the truth, and conviction is different than the guilty conscience. A guilty conscience just says, I feel bad about this. Conviction says, God's Word says this, and I should be doing this, or I shouldn't be doing that. That's the difference. And a guilty conscience just says, I feel bad about this. And yet God wants us to understand who He is. The defense that God gives against sin is salvation in Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit is that agent that keeps us and seals us till the day of redemption. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, Now He which establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Listen, I cannot tell you whether you're saved or not saved. I only know what you tell me. But you have some observable things in your lives too. And James clues us in on that, doesn't he? And there's some observable things. John 10, 20 through 28. And he says, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. You know, I feel sad for people who believe that they can lose that salvation. Because there's no way that can happen according to the scriptures. Because he clearly tells us, and I give unto them the eternal salvation, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And this is what I challenge folks with. If no man can pluck us out of the hand of the Father, what am I? And if I am saved, can I take myself out of the hand of the Father? That makes me greater than him, doesn't it? And so if no man can pluck them out of his hand, then if you're saved, you're saved or you're not. And so God tells us in this passage, he says, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So if I've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, my defense against sin, my defense against hell is what? Jesus Christ. He's my protector. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. The stronghold, he's a fortified place. He's a stronghold. He's a defense. He's a fortress. He's the rock. That's what the Bible is teaching us. And, and, and he is the strength that he gives to us. He provides us that strength by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's my defense against sin. The Lord is the stronghold in, uh, in salvation and our defense in times of adversity, in times of distress, in times of tribulation. No matter what it is, our trouble, God's there for us. He said in John 16, 33, very familiar words probably to many of us, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the what? World. The kind of peace that God provides is not the kind of peace that we think of all the time. But God provides us a peace that even in the midst of trouble, we have a peace in our hearts about who we belong to. For the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of what? Trouble. And he know them that trust in him. Now, the character of God is revealed in this short book, and it's a reminder to all that God, that God that we serve, is mighty, and His wrath will rain down on the wicked. You know, as a believer in Christ, we're given a benefit. We're given His defense. And if you're saved, you're sealed. If you're sealed, you're His. His defense against sin is His Word, His Son, Jesus Christ. He's provided us everything, hadn't He? And so when he tells these folks in verse 8, but with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue the enemies. I want you to know, those that don't trust Christ, there is a bitter end coming. And we've been provided an opportunity to bring forth that message to them. And I want you to know, as a guaranteed standing with God by his grace, you have a responsibility to take that gracious benefit 
that includes the fact of his strength and his defense, and you need to share that truth with other people. You need to tell them who Christ is. God's given us the power to do so. The last thought is this. God promises us that as his child, he is familiar with us. And as you look at this, he said, He knoweth them that trust in him. And boy, what a blessing. You know, when we think of trust today, I mean, I think it's a loose term. (laughs) You think about how many marriages end in divorce today. Trust is such a loose term, isn't it? There's so many people just living together today and not getting married anymore. And who ordained marriage? God did. And man says it's unimportant. It's just a piece of paper. No, it's a covenant with God. (laughs) It's not a piece of paper. And the thing is, is that when we see it as just a piece of paper, then we're missing the truth of God's Word, aren't we? It's a covenant. And when I think about this, it's spiritual, and it has great significance. This word trust is the word hope. This word trust is the word faith. It's the word confidence. It's those kinds of things that are incorporated in this idea of trust. It's dependence. Uh, and, And when you look at this, you're looking to God in dependence in this manner. You're looking to Him, and, and He knows you. Psalm 1, 6 says, says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Now, He also says in that same verse, in, in, that, in that psalm, He said, But the way of the ungodly shall perish. It's going to come to death, is what it's going to come to. He not only knows what the right are doing, He knows what the wrong are doing, doesn't He? And he tells us in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands ashore, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows you. And we must understand, if he knows me, he must know what I'm doing. He must know the sincerity of my heart. He must know that I trust in his goodness. He must know that in the midst of my troubles that I'm trusting him in the midst of those times. He must know that because he knows me and he knows those that are his. You know, Matthew 10, 29 through 31, I thought about this, and how precious is this thought? And I just want you to think about this for just a minute. How much God loves us? How much God thinks about us? What, what level at which God thinks about us? In Matthew 10, 29 through 31, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very heads of your hair are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. What are you worth to God? You see, he said he knows the very hairs on your head. And, and, and so the challenge to us is, what kind of a relationship does God want with us? Now I want you to know something. If he knows the hairs on my head, that's a pretty close relationship, isn't it? And, and, and God wants to know us that closely. Now, uh, this is not just acknowledgement, but when he states he knoweth, he includes some things in that. When he said he knoweth them, he said this, he cares about you. (laughs) He cares about you. He cares about you. He knows you. He cares about what you do. He cares about you as a person. And, and And the idea of this is, it's with observation and understanding. I, I can't grasp that. Do you know what that means? God's watching me. He's observing my life. He's observing me. When he says he knoweth him, it has that idea of observation. He's watching me. 
That's amazing to me that I have a God that cares that much about me. He knows every hair on my head, he understands me, and he's watching me. It's an amazing thought. What God does that for their people but our God alone? (laughs) The God of heaven, Jehovah, God, he is the one that does this for us. And he reminds us of how much he cares about us. And in fact, it doesn't just come with observation and understanding. You know what's so wonderful? He gives us instruction, doesn't he? (laughs) And so he's watching us, and he cares about us, and he's observing us, and he does it with such loving understanding. And he gives us what we need as far as instructing us on how to live and how to love him. Now, this is the Lord that looks after his family, and he takes care of them as our trust is given to him. Now, you know, we have a very personal relationship with our Lord, and through his care and his cares, he demonstrates to us how personal this relationship is. And he cares about you personally. (laughs) And you think about it for just a moment. Tonight, I may go home, and me, I may kneel down, and Brother Chris may kneel down, and Kathy, and Miss Ann, and then Mike, and then Patty, and Dave, and Pam, and Becky, and Lucy, and then over here we got Vicki, and Laura, and James, and June, and Jim, and Lori, and we got Emily, got Elise in the back, got Mike, and Connor, and now we all kneel down and pray. And what's on your heart is not what's on Chris's heart or on Kathy's heart or on Mike's heart. And God's listening to all of us. That is an amazing God. He does it with understanding and observation and he cares about us and he instructs us. Think about how wonderful that is. So as we look at this, the God that we serve is to be worshipped and reverenced and we should stand in awe in his presence. When you kneel down, understand who you're speaking to. Who are you praying to? The God who answers prayer. And I got to thinking about all of this. And through our guaranteed standing with God, we're given the gracious benefit, including the fact that He knows me personally. He knows you personally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of your.